0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Our study in the book of Acts found us on the Mount of Olives, we're standing back, and we're watching 11 disciples who were listening to the Lord and then watched Him ascend up into heaven. Literally a cloud came, and the scripture indicates that it was the the cloud, though of course it was the Lord, that propelled Him right up and out of their sight. The teaching that he had given them had helped prepare them, but they weren't quite prepared to see their Lord ascending out of sight. And they're standing and they're gazing as, as any of us would watching a loved one uh, maybe drive away and, and knowing we're not going to see him again for a while. Have you ever done that? And, and you just keep an eye on the, until the car kind of disappears. You know, it, your heart already is, is longing for them and to be with them, I and mean, they're, they're gazing up. And then, unbeknownst to them, some angels, two angels come up and say, You men of Galilee, why are you standing and gazing? And it, I think it probably broke the moment, and they didn't even see these guys. And then these, these angels remind them. This same Jesus that you saw ascend up into heaven is coming in like manner. And so we're standing there, and we want to put ourselves in the story, right? It's given to us in a narrative form. It's all true, uh, but you need to put yourself in the setting. And so we hear, what the, we hear what the angels say, but what happens next? And by the way, the scripture tells us. The Bible tells us, once again, they'd witnessed the power of God. Now it was time to wait in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit's coming. That's in their minds. That's what the Lord had instructed them to do. But before they leave that mountain, Luke tells us in his gospel what happens next. And I think it is so neat that we can to compare what Luke said at the end of his gospel in these accounts... And and it's almost like it just all dovetails right together. Of course, it's, it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit giving us this truth as well. But what does Luke tell us in his gospel that happens next? Luke 24, 51 and 52. If you want to look over that, hold your place in Acts 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, while he blessed them, Jesus blessing his disciples, gave instructions, gave blessing to them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And this is what happens next. They worshiped him. They didn't leave that mountain right away. I think when they realize what has just happened, reverently, I think they went to their knees and just the 11 there just start praising God, worshiping the Lord on that mountain. And then, Luke tells us, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, if the one who was dearest to you just went up in a cloud to heaven, what would your response be? I think I'd walk down that mountain kind of numb. What, what just happened? That's not what they do. After their time of worship on the Mount of Olives, They go back to the city rejoicing. And think about this. They're retracing some steps that they had been on before. Remember the triumphal entry? They take the very same path down that mountain into the city that they had taken one day earlier with their Savior. Uh, the, the angels had made their announcement that He is coming back as they had seen Him go up. And they break out in joyful worship and then head back to the city. This brings us to our text tonight. Look at chapter 1 and verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. From where they were at, it was a, it was a bit of a walk to get back there. But But according to Jewish custom, you could do some walking on the Sabbath. There were, there were basic things you had to do, but, but they, they put a restriction on it because it wasn't supposed to be work. And so that's why you have this reference, Sabbath day's journey. At this point, they enter Jerusalem, and then where are they headed? Well, they're headed to a special room where they wait for the promised Holy Spirit, What is that room? Verse 13, and when they were come in, they went into an upper room. That literally means a large room. Probably the same large room that Luke refers to in Luke 22 and verse 22, where the last supper took place before the Lord's death. Where would you want to go back to? I'd want to go to that room. I'd want to be in there with the disciples, the other believers, where to pray and wait for the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But there are some great memories in that room. The memory of the Lord's table. I'm sure they look back and they didn't understand everything that Jesus was doing that night at the table. Oh, but they get it now. Now they know. Many Bible scholars believe that it was that same upper room that they went to then when they gathered to try to comfort each other, console each other after Jesus' death. And next thing you know, there's Jesus standing in the midst. Wouldn't you like to go back to the room where you had seen the Lord before His death and then after His death? If, in fact, uh, Jesus appeared to them there after His resurrection. The Bible says they went to that room where abode, uh, where they remained, okay, both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, or Simon the Zealot, and Judas the brother of James. All right, so why does Luke take time to list? The fact that all 11 were there and had gone back to that upper room. By the way, we're going to see in a little bit, there were others who were there as well. But why does he list them? Why does he list each of them by name? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit has a singular purpose. It'd be easy for us just to read on, but this listing of the disciples is reason for pause. This gathering that sets the stage for the Holy Spirit's coming is the literal fulfillment of another passage of Scripture. And I'd like you to hold your place here. Would you go with me to John chapter 17? Just back a few pages, actually, from the book of Acts. But in John 17, we have Jesus, what we know as the high priestly prayer. He's getting ready to be crucified, to finish his work of giving himself a ransom for sin. But before he does that, to encourage his disciples, because he loves them and is concerned about them, Jesus prays for them. And in Luke 17, would you notice verse 11? Here's what he prayed. Now remember, this is the Son of God who inhabits eternity. Imagine with me the Son of God who is all man walking on this earth, but in His infinite mind as God, He is seeing all of eternity. He is seeing everything that's going to happen with His disciples. He knows where He's at right there, but He sees all that is going to come. And that's important because of what He's going to say here. And now I am no more in the world. What? What? You're, you're praying. You're, you're with the disciples on earth. Now he's seeing he's the big picture. I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Speaking of his ascension. Read on. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. Now, watch this, and none of them is lost. Question Why list all the names in Acts chapter 1? There's your proof. He prayed, it was answered. None is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Isn't that rich? Now, was there any danger of any of those disciples being lost? Oh, yeah, there was a small army that came into a garden called Gethsemane, and they hauled off their leader, and that could have turned into a bloodbath. Say, Pastor, you're overstating it. No, one of Jesus' disciples pulled out a sword. Remember that? And if you're a soldier and somebody pulls a sword on you, It's game on. None of them was lost. And so here they are in the upper room waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to happen. Jesus hasn't lost a single one of them, but Judas, who betrayed him because he wouldn't put his faith in Christ. Isn't that that a blessing? Wow. Wow. All right, so we read on. It would be easy for us to just pass over this. But what a blessing. With all that they had been through together, by name not one true disciple is lost. Now are you a disciple of Jesus Christ tonight? I look out and I think all of us would profess to be. Probably everyone here is. I hope that's the case. But do you realize that Jesus knows your name as a disciple? Say, but these these are the disciples. No, you're one of the disciples too. And we must consider that the high priestly prayer was spoken for you as well. So go, look there in John chapter 17 and now notice verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone... But for them also which believe on me through their word. Think about it. Your New Testament is written primarily by the apostles under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as is the Gospels. What did you read and believe in order to be saved? Their word. So when Jesus prays in John 17, disciples, he is praying for you too. He knows your name. What an encouragement to you teens who are going to get on a plane on Wednesday and head to Alaska. That's a long way up there. There There's not a single mosquito in Alaska. No, there's not. They're all married and have big families. It's way up there. But your Lord has prayed for you, and He knows your name. And and you've been called to do this. What an encouragement. Now let's go on. What did the disciples do when they got to the upper room? Well, verse 14 tells us. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. The word that's translated, the Greek word with one accord, is used 12 times in the New Testament. But this is fascinating. Used 12 times. Do you know that 11 of those times it's used in the book of Acts? We're going to explain why in just a moment. Of one accord means to be there with one mind and purpose to be like-minded. The fact that they had been with Jesus resulted in a united mind and purpose. They had been with the Lord. And now they're in the upper room and they're going to go back to the Lord. They had been able to walk on this earth and talk to Him face to face. Now they get to talk to Him face to face through prayer. And it was being with the Lord that brought the like-mindedness and what is going to continue to get them ready to receive the Holy Spirit. But again, application for us. Show me an assembly of believers like this group of disciples where there is consistent like-mindedness, joy, unity of purpose, and I'll show you a group of believers that have spent time with Jesus. Remember that these are not perfect people. These are not perfect disciples. Well, they're apostles. And the the Lord shows us all their wrinkles, doesn't he? Doesn't he? They struggled. Peter? Others? Okay. But, But here's the thing. Because they had been with Jesus, there was such unity. I thank God for good news. We are not an assembly of perfect believers. But there is sweet unity here. There just is. And it's not because we've all decided just to get along. It's because there must be people here who have seen Jesus, are spending time with Jesus. And by the way, when we are together, we also take time to pray. I'm so thankful that Pastor Coles, through his years of ministry here, emphasized prayer men's prayer breakfast, Wednesday nights when when we pray together, other other prayer meetings that we have. By the way, we don't have enough of them. We need more. But when you all get together for fellowship in homes, I hear about this. You, You take time to meet with Jesus. That's what unifies us. And by the way, what's going to unify your home? As a family, you meet with Jesus. Taking time to be with Him. And when, when you do that, you will be of one accord, one mind in purpose, like minded. Spending time with Jesus in prayer brings unity, purpose. And unity and purpose are maintained by prayer. And by the way, a prayerful, like minded assembly of believers who spend time with Jesus will also be an assembly where there is spontaneous, meaningful worship. I love our worship times here. I love to hear you sing. By the way, I think since our revival meetings, again, a renewed emphasis in our minds about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, your worship has changed in a good way. But it's just refreshing. But but what does this come from? It's not just good leadership. and And you need to pray that you have good leadership here. But it's when God's people, including you young people, decide to spend time with Jesus. So this brings us to the title of tonight's message. Needed Unity for the Spirit's empowering. They needed unity. They needed this camaraderie that came from the unity. They were still in very hostile territory as we're gonna see in the preceding chapters of Acts. Uh, The the struggle's not over. They haven't forgotten about Jesus and the disciples. So unity is needed for the Spirit's empowering and this is how this unity is maintained. It's so, so precious. Now before we move on in this exciting narrative, remember the world, or I'm sorry, the word, translated with one accord. We'll see it over and over in Acts to speak of the unity of believers. Let's go back to Acts now, and let me just give you a couple more examples. I wish we had time tonight. I, I could take us to each of the times that's used in a positive way in the book of Acts. But look at Acts chapter two and verse one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with what? There's your word again. In one place. All right. And so now the Spirit is going to come. But but from the time of the text we're looking at until chapter 2, verse 1, they are still in one accord, in one place. And what are they still doing? They're still praying. It's an emphasis. Go to verse 46 in the same chapter. This is after Peter preaches. Thousands are saved and baptized. What an amazing, exciting time. But notice this. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. See what's happening? It just just continues. Now there are going to be themes that are going to uh, take us all the way through the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit is going to continue and continue and continue and continue to remind us my church in every age of the church age needs to have this same emphasis in their assembly if I'm going to be able to empower their work and use them. So don't miss that. But there's something else to see here. This like-mindedness is needed because, do you know the opposition? They're like-minded about some things too. Half of the uses of that Greek word through the book of Acts is referring to the opposition to the church. They're, yeah, they're of one accord to try to stamp out this Christianity. Let's look at a couple of those examples. Go to chapter 7. Chapter 7, notice verse 57. This is when Stephen has preached. And they're getting ready to kill him. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. There you go. Cast him out of the city. They all hand their coats off to a fellow named Saul of Tarsus and then they start finding the biggest stones that they can throw at Stephen. Opposition. It's violent. It's severe. It's going to continue because the opposition also is of one accord. Go to chapter 18. Let's go later in the book, chapter 18. And again, we're skipping over other examples of this. But in Acts chapter 18, notice verse 12. Paul is ministering now in Corinth. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. Oh, they're united. Singular in purpose, against Paul. And brought him to the judgment seat. By the way, if you go with us to Greece and Turkey you're going to get to stand right in front of that judgment seat where they dragged Paul. It is right there on Main Street in Corinth. You're going to get to see it. And all that unified opposition to Paul, which reminds us we need to be unified in these days as we await the Lord's return and as we do His work, we cannot afford, for dis- we, can't, we can't tolerate any disunity. We need each other. And in that unity, we need the Spirit's power. We need the enablement and the encouragement so that we can be all that we need to be for each other and for the Lord. Now look at verse 14, back in Acts chapter 1. All these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. All right. The women disciples who had followed Jesus from Galilee. You'll remember their names. Mary from Magdala. Mary Magdalene. Remember, she had demons. God had delivered Mary. She's here. Other women where God had intervened in their lives... What stories they could tell. And I'm sure in their fellowship times, they recounted those stories. They gave their testimonies. And then we read this. And Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's there. She had watched her son be rejected, condemned as a criminal, die on a cross, Now the Holy Spirit, through Luke, chooses to include her with the number of those who will receive the Holy Spirit at the inception of the church. Mary is there. What is also special is this is the final time that Mary's name will be mentioned in the New Testament. Church tradition tells us uh, that Uh, She did stay with John. Remember what happened with Jesus at the cross? He gave John the responsibility of caring for his mother. John later would become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. We believe that in that church, uh, those saints knew Mary while she lived. Uh, But the last time we hear her mentioned is right here in Acts. Now, these are going to continue together in that upper room, talking, prayer, supplication to the Lord. Can you imagine what that prayer meeting was like? These are people who had spoken to Jesus directly. Think about this how many of you would have loved to have been there just to hear Mary pray to her son? Wow. But you know what? She was praying to Jesus as a redeemed sinner who had been saved, don't miss that. Okay? There's, there was no immaculate conception, okay? She recognized Jesus needed to be her Savior. She needs the Holy Spirit too, which is why she's in the upper room. But I would love to hear Mary pray to the Lord. Now Lord, We have these needs. You know we have these needs. And I know you're listening to me. (laughs) And others. Mary Magdalene, these these other disciples. Lord, it's Peter again. I love you. Thank you for being so good to me. Say, oh, pastor, that sounds sweet. That sounds rich. Now just stop for a moment. When you talk to Jesus, he's your Savior. He delivered you. He wants to call you friend if you'll walk with him, John 15. It's that real throw off religion and and the flesh wanting this to just be works. No, no, you have a relationship with Christ. And so these ladies are mentioned. Now, ladies, let me just address you for a moment. This text emphasizes your importance to the cohesiveness and like-mindedness of Christ's church. Why did the Lord include them here? Because they are just as important. And so are you. You are also the recipients of the Holy Spirit. Your prayers and supplications are tremendously important to the unity and purpose of God's work right here at Good News. You are part of the body too. Now look back at verse 14. Who else is in the upper room? Unified in heart and prayer, With the ascended, resurrected Lord. Who else is there? Well, it mentions Jesus' brethren. How'd you like to hear those guys pray to their brother? The brethren. Do you remember these half-brothers who were unbelievers during Jesus' earthly ministry? You can read what they thought about Jesus in John 7, 3-5. Oh, you need to go up to Jerusalem. You're somebody important. People need to see you. And then John tells us, but they didn't believe. Not at that point. But they are now believers. And two of those brethren who are in that upper room will write two of the New Testament letters that bear their names. You know those guys as James and Jude. By the way, they were convinced. James is so nice and sweet in how he addresses people. James is direct. How about Jude? He didn't pull any punches either. Okay, Why? Well, they, no, no, they're they're the half-brothers of Jesus. No, no, they were the half-brothers of Jesus. They believed. They were convinced. They saw his life. They know. They're there waiting as well. Now let's not pass over one other aspect here. And this, again, is is primary. The scripture tells us that they continued in one accord in prayer and supplications. What, What does that mean? Well, the word prayer, we know, simply means they were asking. They had been told to go to the upper room and to ask For the Holy Spirit to come, but they weren't just asking. Well, they asked. Well, hasn't happened. Let's, let's. You know, we'll come back to this. It wasn't that way at all. Supplications is the idea of earnest entreaty for a need or a burden. You could use this word. We're to pray, and then we're also to plead with the Lord. Praying is something that we do, should do all the time. We should pray without ceasing. But there are times when we need to get alone with God and entreat. Of course, included in this, and we, we looked at this uh, weeks ago in a message on fasting, including, included in this is the matter of fasting. Our entreaty is so serious and so important that we deny ourselves food. Because, Lord, we need to spend extra time with you. That's what they were doing. This was serious intent and treaty to the Lord that helped unify them, but helped prepare them for the coming of the Spirit. And God answered their prayer. Now let's close. The only one not present in that upper room who had spent three and a half years of his life with the Savior as well, Is who? There's 11 disciples. Who's not there? Judas. Should we bring him up? Yes, because if you read on in Acts chapter 1, do you know the discussion turns to Judas? Now we don't have time tonight to look at that next section in the book, but that's, that's where we're headed. Here's the point. Judas Iscariot was not there for the simple reason that he had not placed his faith in Jesus Christ alone. I mention Judas because, again, he becomes the topic of the next section here. But think of where Judas was at that very moment. He's in hellfire. By the way, he's still in hellfire at this moment. What's so sad, though, is all all the joyful truth that we've seen tonight about this fellowship of believers who are in this upper room the memories they had the testimonies they could share their prayer time together talking to the lord that they loved and knew who they had spent time with and now they're continuing to spend time think of the joy of those gatherings and in these early chapters of acts emphasize they continued steadfastly in fellowship it was so sweet it was so good Judas missed it all, and he's in hell for a simple reason. He wouldn't place his faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, this is, this is really direct for us here tonight because there are people who will spend eternity in hell. There are young people who will spend eternity in hell, raised in churches like this one, and when they look back, they have fond memories of the fellowship, even the prayer times, maybe their heart wasn't there, but they knew something real was going on. They had great friends in a local assembly like this, and and, and they just thought, well, it's kind of a wholesome environment. They didn't realize that the unity was because people were spending time with Jesus. And then they got older, the world appealed to them more. They started to question what they had been taught from God's word. They thought maybe there's something that the world has that's been hidden from me and they follow that like Judas did. But you could gain the whole world and you know what it's all going to amount to? 30 lousy pieces of silver. And in the end, it's not going to satisfy you and you may even think about ending it all when you could have had Jesus. You were that close, but you wouldn't put your trust in him. Maybe there's an adult like that here. Maybe an adult listening on the live stream. You have a head full of the knowledge about who Jesus is and how to be saved, but you're not convinced. You can be that close and miss it all. And so the plea is, don't do that. Come to Christ, who who to know is is to know uh, real love and fellowship. Give your heart to Christ. Now, as we go on, this challenge to Christians. The unity is the result, again, of believers spending time with Jesus in worship, asking and also pleading with Him over your burdens and your needs, Joining with other believers to do that. When that happens, he gives us one mind, purpose. And then we get to experience God's power through his spirit. And I hope that we will determine tonight to walk with Jesus personally. And then to walk with him, to spend time with him corporately. When, When we're together, you know... You do realize, right, this time that we've been together tonight, Jesus has been right here with us the whole time. It's as real as if he had come back and he's sitting on this front pew. It's that real. Only it's better than that, he lives right here by his spirit. I want to see God continue to bless good news. I want to continue to enjoy the fellowship, the camaraderie, the being able to serve together like we just experienced during Bible school. I'm a little jealous. I want to go with these teens to Alaska. Not because I want to see Alaska. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a little late for that. But the fellowship, the opportunity to serve God together, its nothing sweeter than that. And to see Him use you, to see Him work, but if it's going to be maintained, it's going to be because we are of one accord when it comes to the need to walk with Jesus. And that's what I want to leave us with tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, just a couple verses, but oh, they're pregnant with. Truth, that draws us to your heart, Lord. Satan would love to bring disunity Sometimes he does that because people stop walking with Jesus and sin creeps in. And the shameful effects and the, the results of that, Lord, are so hurtful. Protect us from that. Help was to walk in the Spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But Lord, like, like these early disciples where it was so real because they, they had been with you, help us to